Hi, you're listening to the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, where we aim to bring you the latest evidence and research to enable you to perform at your best, prevent injury, and recover well. The Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast is brought to you by Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre. I'm Anthony Lance, physiotherapist, co-founder of SSPC and your host for today. Thanks for tuning in to episode 13 where we get the chance to chat with one of the all-time great AFL players, Matthew Lloyd, talking everything from kicking 100 goals in a season to the captaincy, the Essendon drug saga, the Hawthorne rivalry, his coaches, the brutal bump on Brad Saul in his final game and a whole lot more. It's a fascinating episode uh, where we get to hear what drove one of the greatest full forwards the game has ever seen, but also to look at the side that many don't see in great athletes, the mental health battles. This is an episode I've looked forward to doing for months, but before getting into today's episode, if you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to hit the follow button on our home site and that will make sure you don't miss an episode. But for now, let's get stuck into episode 13. Well, it gives me great pleasure today to introduce our featured guest who uh, was a superstar of the AFL. Uh, 270 games uh, with the Mighty Bombers, 926 goals, which uh, put him seventh on the AFL list and and first for Essendon. Uh, Essendon's leading goal kicker an incredible 12 times uh, from 1997 to 2009. And I think only a hamstring injury robbed him from uh, 13 in a row. Um, Three times competition leading goal kicker, uh, the Coleman Medal, five times All-Australian, Essendon captain 2006 to 2009, inducted into the Australian Footy Hall of Fame in 2013, legend in the Essendon Football Club Hall of Fame, three-time state of origin, mark of the year, goal of the year, Essendon's greatest goal kicker and one of the all-time great AFL full forwards. Welcome, Matthew Lloyd. Yeah, thanks, Lancey. Great to be with you. Yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a fair um, record. Did I miss anything out on the way? I know there's a few other little achievements in there. Yeah, yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's, I know when I first uh, was coming through the ranks, you know, as a, a 15, 16 year old, you, you're never sure where you actually sit. But uh, to hear, you know, at the end of it, after 15 years, obviously there's a lot of downtimes through that period, but to come out with a, a CV like that, you now it's I have to pinch myself sometimes because as I said, it was pretty challenging. Come up against some wonderful players who I really idolised when I was 15 or 16, yeah. but to come through and have a um, strong career like that, uh, yeah, well, I'm really proud of what I achieved. Quite amazing to read that out. So let, let's go to the beginning um, as a youngster. Like you take us through briefly your younger footy days and, and things like, you know, were you, were you dominant at junior level? And, and obviously it was always a, a goal to get into AFL. But yeah, take mm. us through that um, initial step into the AFL. Yeah, I spent um, some of my early years living in Scotland. So my dad, oh, wow. um, yeah, my dad was a an engineer, civil engineer, and got an opportunity through work to um, go live in Edinburgh. So I lived in Edinburgh, okay. Scotland. Yeah, from the ages of five to to eight. So my Could first, you... my, yeah, so my first team sports were actually soccer and rugby. I was just going to say, did you have a footy over there at all? Yeah, so yeah, so we would have had a footy, but honestly, I put all my time into 
just with the yeah, my Scottish mates that I started yeah. going to school with in a place called Belerno. And, and I yeah, played for the Curry Rugby Club and, right. um, and for my school's soccer team. So it wasn't until I got back and I was about 10, uh, that I was, uh, 9 to 10, that I sort of played my first season of um, AFL football. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think it was from my second second season. Um, yeah, I might have come yeah, second in the local club, Best and Fairest. And then I think my third season, I won my first Best in competition in the Essendon District League, okay. the Avondale Heights Football Club. So yeah, I, I did have the, the natural talent. Um, yeah, and I had two older brothers that um, yeah, would you know, be challenged against my older brother, Simon, yeah. eight years older than me, and my other brother, Brad, three years older than me. So I would always go up against them. And, and I started to make the Essendon District combined sides and you know, had a few best on grounds there. And then I was able to make the All-Australian under-15s um, uh, after my Victorian work. Okay. And then, yeah, and then as a... Um, 15-year-old, I was invited to do a pre-season with the Western Jets under-18s. It's sort of been unheard of that a 15-year-old would make the list, but I was able to get on the list and actually play as a 15-year-old for okay. the Western Jets in round one. Um, yeah, and then I actually kicked 50 goals um, as, as a 15, 16-year-old in that season. Expected that I'd be in the Western Jets for another year because I wasn't old enough to be drafted. And then it's just amazing that the AFL brought in a rule that uh, with Freo coming into the comp, if you, they could take contracted players from every club, but as a compensation, that club could take a 16-year-old. So it was a bit oh. of a whirlwind. Okay. 14 years of age, I'm playing for Avondale, and, and within two years, I was, I was on a list at Essendon. So, yeah, right. yeah, So you went to Essendon at 16 and played your first game at what age? Yeah, I was 17 in one month. So I turned 17 in April. Okay. And I debuted, debuted in, in May. Um, I was doing year 12 at St. Bernard's College. And, yeah, right. um, and I, I was playing, it was pretty tough. I was playing for St. Bernard's on Wednesday afternoons. And then I'd play for Essendon Reserves on a Saturday or a Sunday. And it was coming up to the school holidays. Yeah. And Kevin Sheedy, Kevin Sheedy said to me, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind bringing you in uh, when you've got no St. Bernard's games on. So he, he obviously had a, pl- he had a plan. He, he knew... He liked what he saw. I was only 78 kilos. I'm 94 yeah, right. now. Yeah. And, um, and he, he, he brought me in. We played against the Adelaide Crows. On, I think it was round 13 or 14. And then he played me in front of 90,000 people against the Tigers in the right. second week. And then, yeah. then dropped, dropped me back to the VFL after that. So it was, um, yeah. And then, then bought, I finished my exams. He brought me in for round 22 front of 80,000 Carlton at the MCG. Okay. And then I, then I played in a final series um, as a 17-year-old in 1995. So, yeah. yeah, it was an amazing opportunity, yeah. That's pretty amazing. So, uh, I dare say your um, focus on VCE or whatever it was called at yeah. that stage might have taken a bit of a yeah. dive mid-year when Sheeds calls you. Yeah, it was. I remember, um, it's amazing, I was, as I said, 16 and... I knew I was playing good footy, but you never know where you stand. Like, I thought, who knows who's in South Australia, Western Australia. Yep. We didn't have all the draft combines and all the phantom drafts like you get these days. So I wouldn't have had a clue where I stood. And I went to a draft combine and, and I saw a few photographers snapping away. And it was the first ever draft combine. Instead of being going on for a week like they do now, this was just one afternoon yeah, out right. of Waverley. And I saw a few photographers snapping away and... And the next day, my dad come racing in with the Herald Sun. And he goes, Matt, have a look at this. And back page of the paper, it said, Essendon looking to snap up the number one 16-year-old in the country, 
uh, by giving away four four Essendon players wow. to the Fremantle Dockers to get the number one 16-year-old in the country. And okay. that was probably when it hit me that, wow, now this is real. This is where I'm viewed in the in the country. Uh, and and that um, I, you know, I could quite possibly on the Essendon list next year. I lived you know, a couple of drop punts away from Windy Hill. So yeah, right. uh, I, I couldn't believe it, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And you talk yeah. about um, being 17 and being 78 kilos. Footy yeah. was pretty tough and yeah. rough back then. Like, what mm. were your first game? I mean, you're one of the select, uh, in the select club of uh, first kick, first mm. goal, I think. But what, what was it like playing with guys that, that were mm. pretty mean, some of them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I suppose, I was, my first game, you know, I... I actually played on a third gamer and his name was Tyson Edwards who went on and played over 300 games. Yeah. So we played the Crows. And, but I was like the sixth forward. Paul Salmon was full forward. Um, there was James yeah, right, Sirdsenar. Yeah. James Sirdsenar for Wanganine played in the pocket that day. Michael Long half forward. It was a phenomenal forward line and, and I, I was put into the forward pocket. So we won by 122 points. I was kicked three goals. Okay. Uh, and I thought, yeah, this is AFL football. It doesn't seem too bad. But then the next fr- following Friday night, we played 90,000 people. Richmond it was a bit of a slippery night. Uh, I had one handball for the match. Right. And I thought, I learned there and then how <laughs> tough, tough AFL football was. You know, seeing Big Richo and um, Brendan Gale, uh, Scotty Turner was you know, throwing his weight yeah. around. And I, I realised I was, you know, out of my depth a fair bit in that game. And... Um, I, you know, I always would throw myself in there, uh, but it wasn't probably till my second season where I was playing in the preliminary final against um, Sydney Swans. Uh, I was my 16th game of football, and everyone will remember that game where Lockett kicks it. Yeah, that's uh, right. That, but I felt like um, this was like playing in a sardine can, and, and I'm, I'm probably 80 kilos by this point in time, and I couldn't get myself into the game. I felt like this is full-on football. What and I thought I'll try and um, throw my weight around here. And I tried to hip and shoulder a guy by the name of Mark Bays, who was a beautiful left footer for Sydney. And my elbow come back into my ribs and I ruptured my spleen that night nice. and, okay. um, and ended up being in, uh, you know, in a world of hurt. I was in uh, King's Cross Hospital that night yeah. and, and ended up uh, couldn't have any contact for three months. So um, I learned there, yeah, over my few years, I soon learned that how much as well as well as I got through junior football, how tough this competition was and how much they were trying to test me out with you know, I was getting pinched behind the ball, I was getting yeah. whacked behind the ball and all those sort of things. But uh, anyway, that was another aspect of took me probably a couple of years to change those opinions of people saying, Okay, we can get into him physically, we can get into him mentally and you'll rattle Matthew Lloyd. Well, it took me to get physically stronger in the gym and that to try and work through that after about five years of footy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How long, sort of on that that note, how how long did it take you until you thought, gee, I really feel I belong at this level of footy? Yeah, it's a great question because I remember Kevin Sheedy used to say to me, "Don't worry," and said, "Great, unbelievable coach for me," and yeah. um, and he he used to say to me, "Don't worry, don't worry." He said, "I don't believe you physically believe you make it, or mentally feel you make it till you played your fiftieth game." Okay. And he said, "That's how long it takes." I reckon he said, two and a half full seasons of AFL footy till you probably feel you belong." Yeah. And I remember uh, my fiftieth game just happened to be on Mickey Martin, and nice. um, 
he was the most intimidating player that I played on. Um, okay. Yeah, if, uh, and like he would have been 103 kilos. I was 80 kilos. And he used to talk nonstop. He used to, you know, yeah, really, whenever I'd go for a mark, punch in the back of the head. When I'd fall to the ground, he'd drop his knees into my back. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of back problems as a kid growing up. And, and I was just, to be honest, very intimidated. And they had back there Martin Pike, Glenn Archer, um, yeah, Jason McCartney, David King. So it was a very intimidating tough, back line. Yeah. Tough, tough. And, and they were, would walk all over us. And that night, um, I remember I um, kicked four goals. And um, I hadn't been, I'd get in zeros and ones. I kicked four. And, and I can't remember whether we won or lost, but it was just, I walked away going, finally, finally, that I think, I think Sheeds is right here. I believe yeah. that this is, this is my time. And probably from 50 to 150 games, sort of were a real prime of my career, yeah. And look, if we go through your career, I just want to pull a few highlights yeah. out because it's so hard to to go through and, and um, talk about everything. But so I want to go straight to the um, 100 goals. Like, uh, mm. so you did it twice. Um, and I think you had, you finished a couple in the nervous 90s, didn't you? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, so in the year 2000, uh, I was, I raced, I raced to 90 goals and, and obviously it was a premiership year. It was or hoping it would be a premiership year. And Kevin Sheedy um, could sense for three weeks, uh, we're getting closer to the final series. Yeah. And I was, I was kicking one goal threes and one goal fours or two goals. And I was thinking so much about the 100 goals. Yeah, uh, okay. So he... Um, I ended up finishing, obviously, the season at uh, 90, I think, 94 goals at the end of 2000. Okay. Uh, and, and so, Sheeds said, uh, I've arranged with uh, Tony Lockett's manager for you to go and spend an afternoon with him. So, here's the flights, here's your ticket, you're flying to Sydney, and we've arranged for you to go and see Tony Lockett, and he wants to help you through the mindset of trying to kick a hundred goals. That, so that's and a week so, before the final. A week before the finals, yeah. Right. The first final when we'll play North Melbourne, we finished top, North finished fourth. Now it's going to be playing on Mickey Martin again. So <laughs> uh, anyway, so I get up to um, up to Sydney and it was just he made me feel at ease straight away. And Tony started talking through why should one to ten be different from ninety to a hundred, like. What you're doing is you're thinking of the hundredth. All you've got to think about is your next contest, your next moment. You're probably ch- cheating a little bit, ducking out the back. Mate, that doesn't get your goals. It's what you do. You hit the ball 100 miles an hour. When you have the ball in your hand, the process of what makes you a good kick for goal, you, know, you I pick out a letter behind the goals. You tuck, throw the grass up. Forget about the number. Forget about okay. it. And so he, he, anyway, so I came back much clearer on, on where I need to get to. And so, anyway, I was in a good frame of mind, but we, we get into the rooms and we're about 10 minutes before running out. Massive crowd, North Melbourne, Mickey Martin. And next minute, the head of football comes up to me and says, oh, the, the security at the MCG wants to see you just to go through the process. If you kick your 100 goals today, I said, hang on. I said, it's a big final. I, I don't want to worry about that. And I said, I've got to kick six goals and I'm yeah. playing on Mickey Martin. So don't, don't yeah. even worry about it. They said, no, no, they want to go through how they want to get you off the ground as quick as possible. So anyway, I had to listen to that. And um, it was probably the best game of team football that I've ever been a part of. Like we were 
maybe we won by 20 odd goals and I'd had four at three quarter time. So Jesus whole three quarter time address was that we need to get Lloydie his hundred because I don't want it being a distraction to clear up. We've got a week off. I don't want it dragging into the prelim. So I've never been so nervous heading to my position at the start of the last thinking I need to kick this. I was fortunate to kick my 99th at the start of the last, took about 10 minutes and Michael Long was one of the most selfless players I ever played. He wanted me to kick the 100 more than I did myself. And <laughs> so it was fitting that Michael scooped the ball up and hit me lace out on the lead. Yeah. And, um, and, um, and I, could, I could see all the security and all the crowd just working their way down to the front rows. And as I'm running in, my peripheral vision, I could see they would jump on the fence before and obviously the, God, the heavens, gods were with me that day because it was, it was heading towards the right post and then it just swung back in and yep. just to see the look on a guy like James Hurd's face, you know, the, he'd won you know, everything in the game, just the blokes just because they'd never, Jeff Blethen was the last person to do a lesson and yeah, you know, okay. before me, it was a long time before that and so it was a huge thrill for everyone including me that yeah. day, yeah. So yeah. it must, um, it, I mean, out of all the achievements, um, it, it must still, like, does it bring a tingle? Is it still just, re- when you think of that, it must be mm. incredibly special. Yeah, people ask me about my greatest achievements. And the premiership was it because you get to share it with your teammates. But yep. personally, as an individual thing to get, it was just the euphoric euphoria of the, that moment. Um, and just having all your mates jump on you. And and I, I, I ran out for Jason Dunstall in 94. I had a met best mate who barracked for Hawthorne. And, and I ran out for Dunstall and trying to touch him. And this is six yeah, years right, later. Okay. Six years six years later, I, you know, I'm, I'm in this position. And um, and my brother, I was able to see my brother uh, out on the field. And yeah, uh, okay. mate, I, the, the mate I ran out with in the year, in 94, he saw me out on the field and high-fived <laughs> him. Um, uh, but but then then you turn to a bit of fear because it became so claustrophobic. Yeah. Where there's probably you know I don't know it's fifteen twenty thousand people all trying to get to you. Like the closest thing to being a rock star, I suppose, yeah. on on, uh, on stage with yep. people screaming and yelling. But but if you were to fall over in that moment, so it came where we just all hugged each other and. So we didn't. No one wanted to fall so over the because of yeah. barrier, and the security was trying to do the same thing. So, was, and then they it was out of control. They didn't. Nothing happened like they told me would happen. <laughs> but eventually, yep. they whisked, whisked me off the ground. I just stood, had to sit under the MCG grandstand on my own for about ten minutes while they asked <laughs> everyone off. And then when I was able to run back onto the field, just the roar of the crowd. You know, it yeah. was just. Yeah, probably. And, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And so after the euphoria, like, was there an enormous sense of relief, particularly heading into the week after? Did you really feel yeah. a difference? Yeah. yeah, yeah, there was. I think it was good for the whole team. Um, the, the, it gave the team a massive thrill, massive buzz. As I said, we we smashed North Melbourne, um, who were a bit of a nemesis for us, and yeah. we uh, and and. And then uh, we're able to have a little bit of a break, uh, you know, heading into the, the prelim. But we knew we were going to be coming up against Carlton, who had, had knocked us out the previous year in that uh, 99 prelim. So they were always a bit of a bogey side for us as well, Carlton. So uh, that was a huge thrill for me. And obviously I was out a lot of attention through that week and interviews and uh, and all that sort of thing. So I was able to deal with that uh, without 
with knowing that I had a bit of a week off and more through to the prelim final. So do you think, Lloyd, you will ever see a 100-goal full forward again? And, and if so, who in the AFL at the moment is, would be the most likely to do it or get near to it? I don't think we will, uh, you know, while the game's being played the way it is uh, currently. Um, we, I don't know, when Lance Franklin um, you know, played a grand final under Alistair Clarkson, uh, they lost to the Sydney Swans, I think, in 2012. And he said, uh, you know, we can never go into a big game like that ever again relying on the one big forward. Yeah, right. And Damien Hardwick was in that coach's box and he went to Richmond not long after that. He said the same thing to Jack Rebel. He said, you know, we can't have the one key forward like that. So... Um, yeah, Franklin's as good as we've had and once in a generation player and he hasn't done it since, I think it might have been 2009 possibly was the last time that it was done. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll be done again and we'll have some, you know, Ben and Max King um, will come into the game and I can see them kicking, you know, 70 goals in a season. But you know, once you start getting on a roll in the modern day game, they'll flood you, flood defences, double team you, triple team you. So the tactics are that good. It's pretty hard to kick 10 goals in a game anymore. Yeah, sure. What's the most you kicked in a game? Uh, in, yeah, in 1999, um, against the Sydney Swans, round three, I kicked 13 goals. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, so I got 13 goals for. Um, the record uh, at Essendon uh, was 14, I think. Okay. Uh, John, Did uh, you John know Cole. that at the time? Uh, no, I didn't know at the time. Um, okay. but, uh, so, so, yeah, I knew it was come up on the scoreboard that I'd broken the record against the Sydney Swans, which I think Coleman maybe, or South Melbourne kicked 11. So um, saw that, uh, but I hadn't realised that. Um, I don't know, if, I might be wrong here. The record might have been 13 or 14. I wasn't sure if I was trying okay. to break the record or equal the record, but uh, yeah, all that was coming up on the scoreboard. Yeah, rightio. And you've mentioned um, Dunstall and Lockett, obviously two yeah. of, of, well, if not the two greatest of all time. Did you have, who was your idol as you were coming yeah. into footy? Yeah, I had two. Um, I loved uh, Carey, and yep. I, I thought the the way Carey um, w- would use his body, um, you know, I just loved his aggression, uh, his aggression, the aura that he played with. Uh, it was interesting. Sheets used to, uh, on off days, ring me up or and they'd say, "Oh, I want you to, I want you to be able to be able to be a champion centre back and a champion centre forward. So he said, right. I want you I want you to model your game on Chris Grant. So Sheeds would pick me up and he'd take me to watch the Western Bulldogs play. Uh, but I I knew deep down that I wanted to be a forward and and but so my first eight games at BFL level, Sheeds played me at centre back. Okay. And it was my, my eighth game uh, I had eight goals kicked on me by a Melbourne <laughs> player who never ever went on and played an AFL game. Right. And I had my head in, I was pretty much in tears in the corner. And I overheard the, the recruiter who recruited me, his name was Noel Judkins. And he said to Sheed, what are you doing to the kid? You're killing him. Like play him where we drafted him as yep. the best forward in the country. So um, that's where I yeah, obviously got there. But, and the other player, sorry, was um, Stephen Kernahan. I, Okay. I had a um, my coach at Western Jets was Merv Keane, who was a Richmond Premiership star and yep. player, and he he did an art, there was an article on me just before I was drafted, and he said, I think Matthew Lloyd plays a lot like Stephen Kern, and I think he's the best inside fifty player that I've seen in my time in the game. So inside forward fifty, his ability to get off his opponent, his ability to take pack marks. So 
that triggered things off for me. So I started watching a lot of Steve Kernahan and okay. I went to the 90, 93 grand final cheering Carlton because uh, <laughs> my dad played for Carlton against Essendon. And yeah. uh, and watch Kernan kick seven in a losing side. Um, let's go to two thousand. Um, obviously, you've already mentioned it. it yeah. It's it's like is it is it the highlight when you look back over your career? Is that the one standout for you? It is now. It is now. Uh, but at the time, I you, you, I was uh, twenty two years of age. I just kicked a hundred goals. Just yeah. won a premiership, and and you think that. Uh, what what I'd probably say is I wish I won that premiership at 30 years yeah, of right. age, or because I I didn't fully appreciate. I looked across at John Barnes and Dean Wallace on the siren, and they were crying with just with joy, and and I I sort of wasn't like I, yeah. I was sort of like yeah this is unbelievable, uh, and it was a it was a relief it was a real relief. Yeah. But um, it'll happen again. But it'll happen again, and and then. I get to when I was 30 and we were just a team that I knew would come up against Geelong and Hawthorne and these, and I, I just didn't have the confidence in the team that we could win. And so my latter part of my career we were never even a chance. Yeah. So, so I now look back and say, I'm so grateful that I won a premiership, but I didn't really savor it. Like probably those guys who won in 93 and they were probably like me in 93, Dustin Fletcher wins at 17 and, and the baby, but they, but their appreciation seven years later in 2000 would have been so much, so much better, more. more. Whereas, so I wish, I'm grateful, but I wish I won it and I could understand. I'd been through, a, I wish I'd been through a few more lows. I hadn't had any lows really at yeah, that point, right. apart yeah. from a few injuries. So um, it was a, it was an amazing year to kick a hundred, win the Coleman, win the Premiership. But um, but yeah, I, was, I probably took it for granted. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, the captaincy. Um, so yeah. the first year, I think you you won the first game and then Essendon had a terrible year after that and I think you did your hammy. Like how, yeah. how does the captaincy, how did it rate and how do you look back on that four years of your career? Yeah, um, now it's up there. We After the Premiership, um, I think it's the greatest uh, individual, uh, sorry, it's the greatest thrill and honour and honour yep. that... Um, was ever bestowed upon me. I, you look at the Essendon captaincy. You got um, you know, guys back in my time like Terry Danaher. Um, you know, like you might have Mark Bomber Thompson, Gary O'Donnell, uh, James Hurd, me, Joe Watson, Dyson Apple. So it's not as if it gets thrown around yeah. uh, around too often. And and so uh, the problem for me was um, I was put into the leadership group very young because of my on-field uh, talents. Uh, but I really wasn't leading at all. I was the full forward. It was just trying to kick as many goals as I could, but I wasn't yeah. really helping too many people. Or And we had James Hurd. It was the greatest security blanket of all time because any any big moment needs to happen, James would do it for us. Yeah. You know, James was just unbelievable. And we all, and he was so inspirational. Uh, you'd want to run through a brick wall. He had an amazing way with words, James. Yeah. So it was at the, around, um, uh, so 2000, the end of 2004, Mark Harvey and James Hurd said to me, I want to take you out for lunch. Took me out for lunch. And they said to me, James said, I want to hand the captaincy over to you. 2005, you're ready for it. You're going right. to be captain. And I just, I wasn't ready for it. And I said, to be honest, James, I said, if I'm down at half time at the moment, I'm heading into a toilet cubicle 
And I'm sitting in the toilet cubicle for 10 minutes of half time thinking, how can I get myself into the game? Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think about anyone else bar myself. So I don't think I'm ready and equipped. Can you do one more season right. through 2005? <laughs> and I'm going to spend all of 2005 being the biggest sponge from you of all time. And instead of heading to that toilet cubicle, doesn't matter what sort of a day I'm having, I'm going to be there to learn and, and help others through the whole of 2005 and, and, and better myself to be ready because I'm not ready to captain in 2005, but I want to be ready in 2006. So he said, all right, sounds like a deal. Harvey said, all right, I'll take that back to Sheeds. And that was a deal we made. So okay. I, I, the, no one else would have known, but I spent all of 2005 preparing myself to take over in 2006. Um, and then... Um, Sydney Swans won the grand final in 05. I had a massive pre-season, was feeling cherry ripe, kicked six goals in the first quarter of my first ever game as captain. Right. Um, kicked the eight, eight for the day. We beat the Premiers, the Sydney Swans. Um, went up to the Gabba for round two. And I, ha- I kicked four, we lost, but I rolled my ankle in that game. And I, I reckon I, my gait had changed and I trained the whole week leading into round three. I didn't. I trained running very awkwardly, and then um, I strained my hamstring on half time of round three against the Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium. Sheed said to me at half time, "How are you feeling?" And I said, "I reckon I'm at about seventy percent." He said, "All right, just stand with the goal umpire. Right. Stand, chain yourself to the goal umpire, and and just see if you can get through the game for us." And it just happened that that the whole seas parted. And there I was standing at full forward. There would have been no one within 70 metres. And so Lovett Murray comes steaming out of the middle and I had to get on a hard lead. And just as the ball's about to, I reckon was about, you know, I don't know, half a metre away from me, I've just fully blacked out. Um, and and I've grabbed, grabbed for the upper hamstring and the trainers have come out and I said, I've blacked out. And they said, oh, no, we reckon Dale Morris has corked you. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I'd blacked out before the ball even got to me. Gosh. So um, they said, okay, then. So I don't think they were sure about my events because I'd never heard it. But I think they say, you know, you should know this with the psych nerve, the nerves and all that sort of thing that I'd ripped my hamstring, obviously, um, three quarters of the way off the bone and um, obviously all the nerves around that. I was dry reaching through the nauseousness, the pain that I was in. And um, so that was it. I had to have surgery and uh, that was how... And the team hardly won a game after that for the rest of the year. And yeah. so it was a really tough time to captain when, um, yeah, as I said, there was just, we couldn't win games and players' careers were ending. So it was a really difficult period. Yeah, okay. And, and it's interesting you speak about, um, obviously, to be so dominant as a full forward. I, I presume a lot of your mindset has to be on you. So mm. taking on the captaincy and... F- Forget about 06, let's go to 07 when you're back on the field playing. Do you think, like as much as it was obviously an, an amazing honour, did it affect you as a player and your ability to be as good a full forward as you were without the captaincy? Um, uh, I still felt that... Um, so I wasn't the player after that hamstring. I don't think I was the player that I was okay. beforehand. Yeah, um, but, but I was still... Uh, kicking 60 goals in a season and, and that, you know, you know, 60s in my captaincy years and things. Yep. So I was still, um, you know, had a second year in the best and fairest and things. So what I decided to do was 
there was a lot of commitment, you know, throughout the week, you know, as captain and, you know, issues that arise where sometimes you're disciplining players and, you know, I'd, I'd instead of requests going to James Hurd to speak to sponsors and, and high network people are going to functions of a night time. I was doing a lot of that. So I noticed yeah. how much he was doing. I had a great appreciation for James afterwards. But what I decided to do was once it came to game day, I, I, I said to myself, I cannot do any more for the players. Um, I've prepared them as best I can during the week. I've given them all the mess, key messages in the pregame. I've given them a final address. The best way I can possibly lead now is by how many goals I kick, how well I perform on the field. And that yeah. is what leadership is. So I can say all I want, but it's more powerful by me charging out of the goal square, you know, crashing packs, bringing balls to ground, laying tackles. And, and I suppose where I get to my last game, which you're probably about to get to, that was all I wanted to do at that period of time was influence my team. Sure. Um, it, there's no more words that I could have said that day. They weren't get, they weren't taking me anywhere. So I needed to bring action, and that's how I viewed on field. It's about my actions now. Yeah. Forget about the words. I'm just another player trying to inspire my team in that sense. Yeah. Let's take a short break and reflect back on the last podcast with Scott Murray where he continued our two-part podiatry series on shoe technology and choosing footwear to suit you. So if you missed it or to just reflect back, here's a little grab of SSPC podiatrist Scott Murray talking about footwear selection. There is no holy grail of contact and it's not that one is better than the other. Um, you know, I've certainly seen from experience there's been uh, a lot of patients that have been advised to change the way they contact the ground and you know that's unfortunately led to significant changes in that load distribution and you know unfortunately that's led them to break down and, and get injured. So look I think from my side of things clinically uh, I rarely will suggest to patients that they need to you know, be more forefoot contact or midfoot contact. There is no holy grail of contact and it's not that one is better than the other. Um, you know, I've certainly seen from experience there's been uh, a lot of patients that have been advised to change the way they contact the ground and, you know, that's unfortunately led to significant changes in that load distribution and, you know, unfortunately that's led them to break down and, and get injured. So, look, I think... From my side of things, clinically, uh, I rarely will suggest to patients that they need to, you know, be more forefoot contact or midfoot contact. If you want to catch up on episode 12 with Scott, jump across to the Perform, Prevent, Recover page and you'll be able to download that episode and everything else we've done. But for now, let's get back to Matthew Lloyd. We'll get to the last game, but I'll talk to you yeah. about something a bit simpler yeah. first. Yeah. So um, yeah. the grass throwing. Now, yeah. you used to do it under the roof, so it can't have yeah. been totally for the wind. Yeah. What, what was that all about? Yeah, so I, I um, got to Essendon um, and had no routine at all. So yeah. I like, would, would have the ball in my hand and if I was feeling good, I'd probably slot one, but then I had the bent knee. I was, didn't know how many steps for a run-up was. Um, a few times, Mickey Martin would 
mark the dirt where the mark was. He'd step back five steps and then he'd come charging in. I'd lose track of where the mark was. And there was this one day we played Collingwood on Anzac Day and I kicked four points to half time and we're walking down to go into the change rooms and Sheed said to me, hey, don't worry about coming in at half time and listening to me. I want you to stay out on the field at half time and practice your shots for goal. This is in a and game with in a game and how many day. people watching? Yeah, it'll be ninety five thousand people. <laughs> and and it was I was so huge. So he said to one of the staff members and the property steward, stay out there with him. I want him having shots for goal. Every shot I missed at half time, I was getting heckled. So everyone was just watching me there, like having these shots and and it didn't do what Sheeds wanted it to do. All it did was hurt my confidence even more to the point where I actually didn't want the ball in this second half. Yeah, I didn't man. want the ball to come to me because I was so... I didn't know what to do when the ball was in my hand. I was kicking it hard. Then I was stabbing at it. I was long run up, short run. So we get to um, a final series and Robert Shaw was our assistant coach who coached Adelaide and yep. and, um, and Fitzroy. And he, he was like the bad cop for Sheeds and he, he would often fire some of the bullets to wake the team up. And he got up in front of the team and he said, I want to say a few things to us. This is in about 1998. And he said, um, Matthew Lloyd, he said, you do not practice on your craft of set shot kicking anywhere near like a Dunstall or a Locket would. And you have hurt us too many times this year. And I'm worried you are going to hurt us in a big final because you do not practice your craft anywhere near enough. And I fought back tears, got in my car and I start broke down. I said, that hurt. How he, how he picked me out. Yeah. But deep down, it hit me that he's probably right. So I'm leaving it to chance too often. So I couldn't do anything about it there and then. But over the whole off-season off of 99, I got a sports psychologist and I got the best technical assistant coach we had at our footy club. And at Windy Hill, I would have had, oh, I don't know, two, 3,000 shots over, over an off-season. And Windy Hill's conditions were so bad that... Often I'd have to aim for the point post sometimes right. to score the goal. Yep. So that's where the grass throwing okay. started. And by the time I got to round one of 99, I'd rehearsed throwing the grass up <laughs> thousands and thousands of times. And it become, and I started feeling like so confident, like yep. the mindset of, okay, I, I had a letter I'd pick out behind the goals. I'd walk in focusing on the letter, where I'm going to aim for. Then I'd focus for the next eight steps on purely my ball drop and staying over the ball and following through and kicking through the ball. And um, that was a process that okay. started. And, and uh, it was amazing that we got to a point where I went from a 50-50 to being 75-25 yeah, for pretty okay. much the latter part of my career, yes. And this was what stage of your career? Um, so probably four years in. So from 95, 96, 97, 98, I, wasn't, I had no routine. Yep. And um, 99 to 2009 um, was a, a clear routine yep. that um, pretty much, again, like, you know, people come to me on goal kicking. You're a great goal kicker, whereas they forget that for four years, I was yep. very much far from it. Yeah, yeah okay. A um, couple of career-specific questions. Um, who was your toughest opponent ever? So for, for that, what I said earlier, from an intimidatory perspective, it was Mickey Martin, um, and he he was so strong. Um, 
But in terms of a great footballer, Matthew Scarlett, um, okay. I never, I never spent um, any of my first six, seven years. I never worried about fullbacks from hurting me on the rebound or grabbing the footy. They didn't do that back then. Whereas yep. Matty Scarlett come in and they made a point of getting the, the footy in Scarlett's hands and and they knew if he ran off me, I'd have to run with him. So we had a real cat and mouse where he'd try and get me. I'd see a turnover, I'd go back. and but okay. they, Yeah, so he, I with Scarlett, every ball I got, I thought, I'm going to take my full 45 seconds or back yep. then I changed the rule to make it 30 in the end. But um, yeah. I, I had to make every goal count with Scarlett because you never knew where your next kick was coming from. He was, he was lightning quick on the lead, cat-like at ground level, deceptively strong. So he was hard to find a weakness in Maddie Scarlett. Yeah, okay. And actually, yeah. you touch on another thing I meant to ask. Did they bring the shot clock in just for you? Yeah, 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 <laughs> they did. They did. I, I, I um, yeah, milked it for all it was yeah. worth because through the, um, the help I got, they were big on uh, lowering my heart rate to re- recover. Yeah, so okay. Oft, often, yeah, I'm putting the ball down, pulling socks up, tucking jumper in, uh, throwing grass up multiple yeah. times. And I was often doing doing that just to, to recover. And so they brought it from 45 down to 30. And, and I adjusted quite well to that. I, I just would race back like, to the right. top of the mark and, and I handled that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Handled that quite <laughs> fine. Yeah. 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 Um, what comes to mind when I mention the word Hawthorne? Hawthorne? Uh, well, we laughed at them early on. So, I, okay. I went, yeah, we found them... We didn't have a lot of respect for them um, because we found they were the peroxide head uh, boys who loved a okay. good time but but um, didn't serve it up too much on the field. So I think that's what happened. Um, we'd beaten them, I think, eight or nine times in a row um, through uh, the 2000s. And and um, even one stage we were 13-0, and 0, two teams on the ladder, yeah, Essendon okay. v Hawthorne, and we beat them by 15 goals. And... We, and they just didn't stand up. And so it got to a point where we were, we were just too strong. We had Mark Johnson, Jason Johnson, Dean Solomon, Damien Hardwick, Dean Wallace, a really tough back line. And it was the line in the fan game happened that we were, again, 10 goals up in, I think, would have, I'm trying to think what year, maybe 04, or I can't think what season that was. And on half time, Mark Johnson grabbed Robbie Campbell, their ruckman, and just pole-drived him into the ground, knocked him out. We go charging off, going, "Ha ha! We've yeah. we're beating you on the field. We're beating you up." And that was when Dermot Brereton went in and just said, "Enough's enough. When are you going to stand up to this team?" And that's when they obviously started throwing haymakers and all that. Yeah, and right. We, and that, and so that was when the rivalry really started. Okay, uh, that's interesting. And, and, I always assumed it was earlier, much earlier. Nah, nah. For me, it was Carlton early on north, through that, then Brisbane through that period, and then Hawthorne. By the end of it, Hawthorne was my most despised because they become a good team. They threw it back at us, and yeah. we had some unbelievable, uh, yeah, fights on the field, and, and obviously good games on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, when you look at the Hawthorne that era, same as Essendon, like they had some like unbelievable players. Who who stands out amongst the Hawthorne teams of from that rivalry on that you just looked at and thought, wow. I just really admire and respect you. Yeah, 
Well, Shane Crawford was the one that we, we respected most as a footballer and there was even a time through that period where they were trying to change what they were doing where he played on James Hurd and the aggressive nature Crawford played with Hurd. Yeah, okay. We, we, we were really upset with the way he had Hurd over the, the fence at Waverley. He was, yeah. had, he, had him by the throat and things like that. Um, so he was, he was one that um, we respected um, in terms of uh, players. Um, I'm trying to think through that period. Um, so Croft was the main one. And then by the end of it, like when, you know, obviously, you know, Jordan Lewis, Sam Mitchell, Luke Hodge, Roughhead, you know, that next wave of players yeah. was who we had the true respect for more so than that earlier period where Crawford was pretty much the main one and they didn't have okay. too much supporting him, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's go to the other side. Is there anyone at Hawthorne that you just thought, God, I can't stand you and I'd love to, you know, yeah. run through you? Was there anyone that you just... Uh, well, it was Campbell Brown. Um, <laughs> yeah, Campbell, <laughs> Campbell Brown. So um, we, we had a period of time where... Um, I broke his nose in a bump. Um, he got four weeks for striking me and, and um, hit me four times in trying to get me back for the broken nose. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, there was just light in the sand game. You know, I yep. spoke out and said that was the worst act I've ever seen in my time on the footy field because he, he broke Jason Winderlich's nose, splattered it all over his face. And I just said it's in a Triple M interview that I've never seen anything as bad as that. Then I had Mel Brown, his father, come and ask me, saying he wants to sue me. And then, um, so, obviously, the Brad Sewell moment happened. And then after that, Campbell and I saw each other at functions and we wouldn't have spoken for two years. Okay. Um, so it spilled out over. And then then it just happened that um, Brad, sorry, Camp, Brad Sewell was getting married. Um, Campbell Brown was in his went, uh, bridal, uh, as a, he was a groomsman. Yep. And he direct messaged me on Instagram and said, hey, I know we've been through a fair bit, but it's Brad Sewell's wedding. We've got him an Essendon jumper that we're going to make him wear, <laughs> wear on the, uh, for the Bucks party. Yeah. And, we, we, and we've got 18 on the back and we want you to write, uh, dear Brad, I hope you last longer at the Bucks party than you did on the MCG that fateful day. And so he came over and we sat for an hour going through it all and I hugged it out and said, Gee, that's good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And he said, you know what, I, I respect you because you played it hard. And I said, you know what, probably the same. I respect you because you played it so hard. So, so that's, uh, that worked out really well in the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, that's amazing. Um, tell me, and I think I know who you're going to say, but the greatest player you ever played with at Essendon? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, with, with Hurd, um, he... He wasn't the most naturally gifted player. So I had an unbelievable respect for him. And he knew what worked for him. He wouldn't do the same training program as the rest of us. He, he felt he would, he like with weights, would be lifting heavy weights. He would do uh, lighter weights, but more reps. Um, so he said, oh, I don't want to get big. Uh, yeah. I've had my navicular. With training, he, he had a lot of soft tissue. So instead of training for two hours, he would come out and do 30 minutes he'd go hard for 30 minutes yeah, right. um, and then um, he was a warrior so he was a bit of a stressor but his ability to then throw himself into his first contest was his way of dealing with the pressure uh, and so I just thought his ability to mark above his head it was a he was a tough matchup his ability to snap goals banana goals it was something he worked on extremely hard at training uh, so he and then Michael Long was my most enjoyable teammate because of 
the tack-ons and the knock-ons. He just had um, um, eyes in the back of his head and he'd make me a better player. And then Dustin Fletcher for his ability to save us with the, you know, you know, he's just so quick off the mark for his size. I just love love playing with Fletcher and would stand down the other end in admiration for what Fletcher should do. And I played on him in a few practice matches and he was so hard to get a kick yeah, on. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What about, um, we spoke about the Hawthorne uh, rivalry. Um, where does that game rate against things like uh, Dreamtime at the G and Anzac Day, which are obviously such big games on the AFL stage? Now, Anzac Day was the biggest uh, home and away game by far. Uh, yeah. Just the, the nerves and the build-up were uh, sometimes bigger than finals uh, with just okay. how big it was. Yeah, I think yeah, prelims and grand finals, there's nothing like that. But uh, the actual Anzac Day, Sheeds used to say to us, uh, I reckon it's the equivalent of eight home and away games, the experience for you guys. So, I know Scott Lucas debuted on Anzac Day. Blake Carousella debuted on Anzac Day. He loved throwing kids in to give them those eight games, which he thought. Uh, yeah, and, it's, and I think he felt that um, you're the only game on that day. Everyone would be sitting at home watching. There'd be 90,000 to 100,000 inside the stadium. Uh, the scrutiny, if you played poorly as a team, if you played poorly as an individual, or the, uh, the, the way you'd be pumped up if you played well or your team did, um, he just said you couldn't quantify what that was worth um, so, yeah, I think I know I, – I remember my first season was 1995 and I played a curtain raiser – sorry, a game at Victoria Park. I remember working my way across to the MCG and there was 20,000 people trying to get in and we were ushered in because we were, you know, AFL-listed players. And I sat in my seat and I was just blown away by what I was watching and the atmosphere. I don't think anyone knew what to expect that day. And it was probably the greatest atmosphere as a spectator I've been. And I sat there saying, I, I need to be part of this next year. This is yeah, right. too good as I was. And and I think I played in 13 Anzac days out of my 15 years. And it was yeah. an amazing experience, yeah. That is amazing. And there were some amazingly close games. Is there any one out of those 13 that stick out as being the best Anzac yeah. game you've ever played in? Yeah, it's um, interesting that that question gets asked and... Two, the two that I remember most, I didn't do anything in. So the first one, <laughs> so that one, that one wet my you know, taste buds for how big AFL footy and is, and how big it is to play for the Essendon Footy Club, and how privileged I was going to be to play at such a big club. No matter where you were on the ladder, this was just a hot ticket to be part of and, and, and go and watch. And then my last season, two thousand and nine, I copped a huge corky early in the game. Um, had no influence on the game. Maybe I think I kicked two or three points. Five or six. Diamond Prestigia came and beat me convincingly. But um, that was David Zaharakis. Um, yeah. so David Zaharakis. So to come back in the wet, four goals down with, I reckon, I don't know how many minutes, eight, nine minutes to go. Uh, seeing you know, Leroy Jetta, Ricky Dyson, Andrew Lovett, all these young guys uh, do what they did in Zaharakis. Um, yeah, it was just a, a great game and the euphoric feeling afterwards was, was an amazing experience. Okay. Where did the nickname The Velvet Sledgehammer come from? Well, there's two people who claim it, uh, Lancey, and that's <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Eddie Maguire and Sam Newman. So uh, those, oh, I sort of would go on, I had a contract through that, those period. I was around the 2001 period and um, I had a contract with the footy show where I'd go on eight times a year 
And um, yeah, and then what happened was I had a lot of fullbacks that were targeting me a lot, uh, you know, and I had Steve Critty pinching, punching me one day at, um, at Optus Oval or Icon Park as it is now Carlton's ground. I didn't handle it well at all. Like I was intimidated by him and, and he kept me to two touches for the game, walked in, I was so embarrassed. It was so bad that she'd sent big Ryan O'Connor to stand in between us and uh, try and keep Critiok away from me. And I was, I was close to tears and she'd got Mark Harvey and Dean Wallace to have a chat to me and they took me into a room and they said, if you keep, if you deal with fullbacks the way you dealt with them today again or next week, the week after, like the whole competition saw that today and you, you, know, you want to be, have a target on your back because you just didn't handle it well. You've got to be a bit tougher tougher than that um, and not let it affect your game like it did. And then Sheeds got to me during the week and he said, if someone's in, in your way or in dropping in the hole, like you've got to make them earn it a bit more than you do. So go for the mark, but your knee's got to hit them. And if yep. someone's coming back, you're, you're getting stronger in the gym, you've got to use your physicality a bit more. So... I actually, though, got reported four times in probably the next 10 to 12 weeks. Um, so that's where the name started, where Sam already on the footy show said, gee, he's a nice guy, but uh, he, gee, he hits hard. He's like a velvet sledgehammer. So, right. And, and it's stuck uh, ever since. It's stuck ever since, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, look, probably a good segue into sort of a couple of the tougher topics, um, which, are, which is the drug saga and, and yeah. the last game. So... You know, we don't need to go through all of the drug stuff, but, but it really ruined Essendon, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it did. And um, it's, it's tough for me to speak because obviously I wasn't there and I'm only hearing off a few players that to speak to and um, but occasionally about how it all went down and, and things like that. But yeah, I, I remember someone saying to me, this will take 10 years for Essendon to recover. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, 10 years, but they're spot on. Like, it will, will take 10 years. Like, um, we're nearly... What year was it again? Um, two, yeah. Uh, 2013. Yeah, uh, 2013. Yeah. Season, I think. 2013. Yeah. Suspended. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's got to, yeah, they, yeah, it'll take, yeah, they're, they're going okay now and that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's sort of taken a long time. Bro- yeah. Just the broken friendships out of it, you know, like yeah. it's sort of, um, yeah, I won't go into who they are, but it's amazing no. how many fractured relationships have been from that that'll never be the same ever yeah, again um, and, and, and just you know I'm best mates with a guy by the name of Angus Monfries who um, you know played one game after that yeah. um, you know and very upset with you know, how things ended, ended for him and um, and that big so just destroyed so many careers so many friendships I was shocked because yeah, my last year was 09 and you know never heard of anything like yeah. the program they went down so it's amazing how you know they let you know the the wrong people into their footy club. Sure. James Heard would never ever want to cheat, but he um, was a competitive person and he was probably naive and inexperienced as a senior coach. And he he was sold um, that everything will be fair and legal, but we'll yep. get an edge. We'll get an edge, and uh, went down that path. And uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it was absolutely devastating for those individuals and the club. Yeah, and do you think, like, looking at, I think there's two in particular, James being one and, and Joe Watson with his yeah. Brownlow being the second, do you think mm. the penalties were too harsh? Yeah, it's uh, so many politics were involved yeah. in that. Like, the AFL just wanted um, to try and 
um, look after some, but they needed scapegoats. Uh, yeah. And James was the one they wanted. Yeah. Uh, Bomber Thompson they wanted. Um, so, you know, that, that was that was really difficult through that period. Um, Job, Job, yeah, I'm devastated for Job. And, and um, you know, it's, it's great to see him doing some commentary and involved in the game. Um, James, you know, I he was the strongest person I ever was involved with in footy. You know, anyone you had an issue, you go to James and to see him get to a point where he nearly lost his life through yeah. the whole saga it just shows how devastating it was. So, yeah, that's good to see they're both much, much better today than they were last year and the year before that. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's just devastating for the, for the both of them, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and now the last game, so out of all of that, the career and everything, and obviously the Brad Saul incident, and mm. look, I still can recall watching that game and yeah. seeing it and thinking, God, you've killed him. Um, yeah. did you, what What was your thought at at that time? Players coming from everywhere, he's on yeah. the ground. Were you a bit worried? Yeah, I was in a really um, bad headspace uh, at that time. I, was, I was, yeah, wasn't on the best terms with the coach, Matty Knights, and I knew I was probably at a stage where I knew going into that game I was going to retire because I just um, thought to myself, "Do I, I, I can't play at Essendon anymore because um, I wasn't happy. I was miserable and, yeah. and I thought at 31, 32 wasn't the time to start at a new club. So um, I went I'd, I'd, and I'd missed four or five weeks leading into that game with a bruised heel and, and um, I'd had four or five possessions to half time. So we were down by four goals. If we won, we made the finals. If Hawthorne won, they were going to play finals. So it was a big game. And my way of getting into the game was I wanted to charge off the square. And if Sam Mitchell won the clearance, I wanted to try and hit him with a hard tackle. Right. Uh, um, it just happened that we won the clearance. So I was steaming in and Brad Saul was running the one way, I was running the other. And I, I wanted to execute a bump straight down the front of him. And it just happened that my shoulder hit him straight through the cheekbone. And yeah. I noticed straight away that he was motioning with a really bad concussion. His fingers were all yeah, cramping up and that, and that, yeah. But um, as I said, I did go into protection mode where, you know, Hodge and Lewis and Brown and all these guys are coming at me. And I was fortunate that the whole pack fell on top of each other and no one really got at me. But um, I was just in an absolute daze because I realised how seriously hurt he was. Yep. I realised that my career was going to... I had two quarters left. I knew yeah. I was done. And I thought, this is going to be full on. Like, this is going to be full on half yep. of footy that I've still got to play. And so it was a tough half. Like, I've always felt safe on an AFL ground. But Chance Bakeman round on me and concussed me. Yeah. Under, uh, under packs, they were dropping knees into me, uppercut. Just, but I realised that's just what I had to deal with because of what I'd done um, yep. previous. So it was a... And we and then I could feel the tension building because we kicked the next eight goals. It got our team going. I didn't fire a shot for the day, but it yes. got our team going. Um, and then I could feel that how upset Hawthorne people were. Uh, the interchange bench. I was getting booed whenever I touched the footy, um, and it spilled out obviously afterwards with Alistair Clarkson trying to yeah. get to me on the ground. So it was yeah. a pretty emotional. The really, I had a child that week. I got yeah, suspended nice. for six weeks. Um, my career came to an end. So it was a very a draining and emotional time for me through that yeah, period. Yeah, yeah. And you've sort of mentioned that, you know, Campbell Brown had words later as well, which you've yeah. patched up. Have you have you patched up with Clarko? 
Uh, so I, I, for those yeah listening that didn't know, so I yeah I was trying to go off and we crossed paths and he was coming at me and he he said you better not retire you beep 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 we want yeah. to see you next year and and but their footy manager Mark Evans was pushing him back away from me but about two weeks later I went on the um the show called Before the Game which was on Channel Ten and um, just happened that Alistair Clarkson was a guest that night as well. So we were both in the green room beforehand. He was on one side of the room. I was on oh, one, and I was in. I was in no mood to actually um, talk to him. I just thought, oh, I'm not going to go talk to him. So I was on first. I went out and did my spot on the show, and I pretty much walked straight out and to my car. And as I'm about to get in my car, I hear Lloydie, Lloydie, and I'll turn around. It was Alistair Clarkson, and he'd ran out onto the street to see me. He said, oh, can I just say, um, I let the emotions get the better of me couple of weeks ago he said Max Bailey had just done his knee another knee reconstruction yeah. I saw a player in Brad Sewell who had his cheekbone popping out of his out of his face um, yeah. and he said seeing you I just lost my way and we're out of the final series I oh, we weren't going to play final so um, didn't say sorry but he just said <laughs> I've let my, I let my emotions get the better of me so I said no problems we shook hands and you know, I've been been fine ever since yeah. yeah okay all righty look uh, i feel we could go on forever but i want to tie up with a couple of quick things um so to be remiss not just to get you again you've spoken so highly of sheets but he obviously yeah. has just been i mean you had him for all bar two years of yeah. your career he must yeah. just be must have been enormous for you yeah he was and and by the end i you know you get tired of the, the same voice after 13 years and all those sort of things but now Looking back, I think to myself, how lucky was I? I, I tell the story, that, you know, and I bring that to my own coaching now, where he had an amazing ability to tell you as it was and tell you what you weren't doing well enough and where you need to get better. But he would always do it in a manner that he would leave end the conversation with you looking forward to the next training session, looking forward to the next match, that you could be the best man on the yeah, ground. Right. So he would say, you are losing your feet too often. You are being outmarked too often, but I know at your best, you can. You are the best. You can be the best forward in the game. And I think if you do those things, you'll kick me five next week because you are a great player. Yeah, right. But okay. You must get better at those things. So he would do it like that. So he wouldn't just give it to you and leave you. That was a difference. Matthew Knights would berate me, but leave me feeling like, you know, am I am I going to get dropped? Yeah. Rashid would leave me feeling like I could be the best player on the ground the next week. So that is something that um, the positivity that he had, looking for the positives in situations and and um, yeah, and backing his players was something yeah. that um, I'm forever grateful. For. And off field, Lancey, he was so big on me. I'd say, can I do this media interview? Yeah, yep, go and do it because if that's what you want to do after footy, it'll be fantastic for you. So go and do that interview. And I'd say to him, Sheed's, um uh, and he'd say, mate, be careful with your money because you, I want you to have paid off your house yeah, by the right. time your career's in it. And I want you to try and pay off a second house. There was like a real father figure on and off the field. Yeah, Yeah. okay. And so the couple of years with Matty Knight, you look back and, I mean, I think you yeah. said when you retired uh, from memory that, you know, you, was your time physically and mentally? Was it more yeah. mentally? In a uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think to my some part to me wonders whether I could have played good footy for another couple of years. Well, you're um, only 31. 31, yeah. And I think in the modern day, 
players are more comfortable to just go and play at another club for a few years. Yeah. Back then, like Luke Hodge, for example, retired and said, oh, you know, I'll go and play for Brisbane. And, you know, players are doing that. Whereas back then, yeah. it probably wasn't the norm. So I reckon that I, I probably could have um, lengthened out my decision and said to Essendon, yeah, I'm finished with Essendon. I probably could have sat on it for a month or so and said to myself, have I got the energy physically and mentally to do this somewhere else again? Um, So where I feel quite content is I didn't have too many moments where I thought, oh, geez, I'm pining for this game. Because I think I was mentally exhausted, just absolutely exhausted. Uh, And I don't know if it was because it was the environment of Essendon or because it was 15 years when I, I was from 16 to 31, I was driving myself that hard every day to be the best. And if I had a good game, I'd say, okay, I have to do that again next week. I never, ever stopped to smell the roses once. Okay. So I was forever just beating myself up before for poor performances. I'd never pat myself on the back for good performances. I was always going, that has to be done again, or that yeah. has to be done better. And I think I just fried, mentally fried myself because of that. And I think it's what made me what I was because I was never complacent I never wait uh, but I also probably didn't allow me the longevity that Dustin Fletcher had because yeah, he was yeah. more that relaxed relaxed personality yeah mental health I suppose like it's a massive issue in the AFL now and we've seen yeah you've seen some some sad examples of that recently and yeah. look I didn't realize until I was doing a bit of research on you that, that you did have a few yeah. mental battles yeah. along the way mm. didn't you? yeah I did I um I was going through a period in my first season with Matthew Knights in 2008 where I'd probably never through my career had more than two to three bad games in a row. And I went through a period where I'd had six bad ones in a row. Yeah. And and I was just really down on, on footy. I felt like I'd lost my ability to play. I'd, I'd, I was uncertain whether Matthew wanted me, Knights wanted me as part of his plans anymore. Um and so I would think my wife, Lisa, could sense that my, even my skin colour, I was white as a ghost. Yeah, right. And she'd say, do you want to talk? I'd say, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'd get to the footy club. I'm captain. So I'm too pr- proud to tell yeah. anyone that I'm not going well and I'm not feeling good. And my head of fitness, John Quinn, got me in his office one day and said, how are you going? I said, I'm good. He goes, no, you're not good. You are doing the same thing over and over again. You think things are going to turn, but if you keep doing the same thing all the time, that's, you're, not, you're getting the same results here. You've played six bad ones in a row. You need to get some help. So it just happened that we played on an Anzac day and I had another shocker and I got hammered. I remember Dermot Brereton saying to me, I think he's done it, saying to the... And so Lisa, my wife, said to me, let's go out for dinner. So she, we ended up driving to her sister's place and we get to dinner and there was a um, counsellor there that just, they said they'd invited him for dinner. Right. And we, we had they had dinner and the table cleared out and it was just me and this counsellor there. And he says to me, how are you going? I said, no, I'm, I'm good. He said, Matthew, I'm looking at you now. You're not good. He said, you need to talk. He said, if it's not me, it's, um, it's um, someone else. But he said, can you promise me one thing? Can you come to my office tomorrow and give me one hour with you? One hour, just give me a chance. And I said, oh, I can't guarantee that. I don't want to do that on my day off. And so my wife said to me, just give it a chance. So I'm driving out to Brunswick thinking to myself, 
why am I having to do this on my day off? Yeah. Yeah. And, and within probably five minutes of talking to this counselor called Justin, who's no longer with us, um, I just burst out crying and I just wow. said to him, I, I've, I don't know what I am anymore. Um, every, um, my whole self-worth is whether I play good or bad. If I play well, I feel good about myself. If I play bad, I have no other um, balance in life. It's all footy and nothing yep. else. And I said, I just don't believe I can play a good game anymore. And I'm a week away from playing seconds as the captain of the Essendon Footy Club. So we spoke for an hour and he challenged me on my mindset. And we played West Coast on a Friday night. That following, yep. uh, I saw him on a Wednesday. We'll play on West Coast on the Friday. Matty Knights called me into his office on the Thursday and said, I want to speak to you. And I thought I'm going to be dropped. And he said to me, I think your days are over as a full forward. You're going to be playing half forward flank. I was just relieved that it wasn't going to be dropped. And I had eight disposals in the first quarter. Didn't kick any goals, but started getting busier. And my mind, I think, was a bit better after having a good cry and talking. And I ended up having 30 possessions and kicking two goals and got second best on ground. And I saw the counsellor for every week for the rest of my career after that. Yeah, so um, I felt it was what I needed, yeah. Yeah, and it's such a strong message to people to yeah. to, to talk. So um, um, just to wrap up, the media, um, obviously you haven't had much downtime post-career mm-hmm. and you're busy with a lot of different things and you're not quite cane corns, but you don't yeah. mind speaking yeah. your mind. Um, are you enjoying the media and do you get much backlash, say, if you speak about Essendon, which you're very honest about? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've had, I've had a, a couple of calls from the club about, um, <laughs> yeah, my thoughts, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, it's I've absolutely loved it, and it's um, it's it's sort of uh, playing footy become a chore for me by the end. Whereas the media, like I really really enjoy it, and I'm fortunate that I've been able to write, I've been able to do I do radio, I've been able to do TV, and and you know, I was a you know, I sort of you know I talk about when you walk into the doors of Windy Hill and I was 78 kilos and 16 years of age and I was I was the 52nd player on the list and I had to fight fight my way to get into the best 22 well yeah my me my media contracts were very much like I'm, I was way down the chain yeah. to the point where you know I took a massive massive I, I had a contract on the table from Essen I said I don't want it I'm willing to take you know like I took 10, probably 10 percent money of what the media was yeah, to right. my, but I said I don't care I want to be happy again so I'm going to do this. And um, I was able to make a mark in that first season and just build my way back up again to, you know, uh, you know be one of the you know, leading voices you know, yeah. with the media now and, and get wonderful contracts with Channel 9. And 3AW didn't want me initially, but then they approached me after two or three years and had a wonderful time there. And, you know, and uh, yeah, to write articles for 10 years for the age of the Herald Sun and, and things. And, and in terms of, I'm very big on, I spoke to Lee Matthews when I first started and I said to him something about an opinion I had, uh, would you go with this opinion? And he yep. said, if you honestly believe it and you've got the facts to back it up and you've done the research to back it up, most nine times out of 10 people go, he's hard, but you know, it's pretty reasonable that yeah. comment. So um, that's sort of my philosophy that um, if I can back it up and I'll, I watch nine games of footy, so you, you form yeah. your opinions and, and sometimes... Yeah, you know, I've had got plenty of things wrong, but I'm more than happy to say, you know what, I, I did, I got that wrong, and it's fantastic. I said Tom Lynch was a liability last year, yeah, and he 
and he turned things around and had a wonderful second half of the year. And I go, fantastic. That was probably a bit hard in that situation. Yeah. He was coming off a knee and I got that quite a bit hard there. So no, I've had a great time of it and uh, yeah, yeah. really enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And look, finally, look, I've been lucky for the last four or five years to play a role at Haylibury with you and, and yeah. see how good you are with those kids and particularly this year, which has been shattering for the, the whole APS system. But do you, um, is there any coaching aspirations at all at league level? Um, I went to the Bombers for a year just to help Joe Danaher um, with his goal kicking and that, that was a real challenge because of how much work Joe needed there. And um, But my, the media and the co- AFL coaching, you know, obviously can't exist together. And as I said, I have a real passion and enjoyment for the media, um, whereas coaching, I don't have a real aspiration to be an AFL senior coach. Yep. So so then the, the senior assistant coaches do a power of work um, and, 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 and sort of, so there's no point being an assistant coach at AFL level if I'm not really, I haven't got that goal to be an AFL senior coach. Whereas at Halebury, I get as much stimulation out of that as I would be being an AFL uh, uh, assistant coach. Like, yeah, okay. I, like say, um, yeah, the tactical side of it, the balance between fun and serious. Um, it's the best schoolboy comp in Australia, I reckon. And, um, and, and to take a team, a group of, of school that hadn't been going that well to build them up to be, um, you know, perceived as the best. You know, it's, I get yeah. as much out of that, you know, along with a lot of other people at Halebury. I must say that, um, you know, I get as big a thrill out of that as being an AFL senior coach. So yeah. I don't really need any more than what I'm doing with Halebury. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And do you remember a kid a few years ago in year 10, by the name of Matt Rao carving Halebury yeah. up. Um, is yeah. he, is he, he, I mean, it, it just, it's unfortunate now, but yeah. is he the best player you've seen in the APS system? Yeah, uh, yes, yes, he is, yep. Uh, we've Take the Halebury kids out of it, but. Yeah, for those listening, yeah, like we've had a, um, we've won 28 of our last 30 games at Halebury, and one of them was uh, um, our own doing. We had a poor loss where we gave up a four goal lead, but then there was one. Uh, Matty Rao was in year 11 um, in uh, two years ago and he just it, his stoppage work and it was just like an AFL footballer yeah, playing against playing out. against a school, a school team and we had no answers for him whatsoever so we spent a year working on a plan <laughs> to get him and yeah. uh, we we minimised his impact to a degree as a year 12 and we beat them a year later so that that was my our greatest thrill at Halebury was beating Raul and Anderson in their year year twelve year because of yeah. what they did to us in their year eleven year. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're going to be superstars. And it would be remiss uh, with the season the way it is at the moment not to finish. There's been so many opinions on is it a compromise season and and whoever wins the premiership ha- does it have an asterisk next next to it? What's your view on the season and the eventual premiers? Uh, I've really enjoyed the season, not just because um, the fact that we're just happy that we've got footy, that we're playing each other once. So I love that, the aspect of um, yes, 17 games, you play everyone once, so there's no, uh, you know, no one getting looked after yeah, from that perspective. Uh, yes, um, it's hard on, on Melbourne teams, but you know, I remember um, you know, obviously West Coast went, did it hard early, Port Adelaide did it hard early, but I love what Port did. They just went in with an unbelievable attitude and, and you know, they were on top of the ladder at this point in time. 
Um, but the tricky part will be uh, come finals time. Like um, if you know the finals are played in Perth, well, West Coast are going to be red hot favourites. If the finals are played at the Adelaide Oval, red hot fact. Where's the grand final going to be played? Um, I'll, I'll never call it an asterisk grand final because I often think that the best team at the end of the day wins it. Uh, and you know, but it, it just comes down to where that grand final will be played. Um, you know, Brisbane, for example, I think three of the best four teams have a massive chance of the grand final being played in their state, yeah. uh, which is Adelaide, Perth, and Brisbane. Um, but in saying that, you know, Brisbane's had to come to the MCG three times and won it three years in a row. Um, we've seen Sydney win it a few times. No doubt it's harder because you've got you know, teams play at the MCG every year. So I think maybe nine of the last ten years there's been an interstate grand finalist. Only one have won it. Um, and that was um, obviously West Coast against Collingwood. Um, so, But I won't have an asterisk against it because I think that everyone's doing it pretty hard making sacrifices and uh, the best team will win out in the end. And uh, do you have a prediction? Who who at this early stage uh, you reckon might? Yeah, I, will, I would say the West Coast Eagles uh, are my premiership favourite. I just think they have match winners um, and guys who know how to get. Nat Nui didn't get to play in it, so I reckon there's a bit of hunger there. Brad Shepard didn't get to play. Andrew Daff didn't get to play. Um, might be missing one other. Um, Tim Kelly obviously has joined them, has missed out a lot. Um, and then Josh Kennedy, Jack Darling, uh, Sheed, Jeremy, Cam- uh, Jeremy McGovern. Uh, I just like what they're doing. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I, them just ahead of Richmond would be my uh, premiership tip. Okay. Lloydie, look, uh, I've still got a stack of questions, but, but it's been brilliant and um to get inside uh your thoughts and your career and your honesty as it is in the media has been unbelievable so um look i really appreciate your time it's it's been fantastic so thanks for joining us yeah thanks lads i actually enjoyed myself going back in time and discussing all those moments and i love the chat and uh, appreciate you doing it with me no worries thanks again Lloydie. thank you Well, that's it for episode 13 and how amazing it is to hear from such an extraordinary athlete and footballer that reached the absolute pinnacle of his sport. There were some really fascinating points and discussions in there, but I think amongst all the greatness that was Matthew Lloyd, the one thing that I take away is actually how important it is for all of us to open up, be honest and talk when we're finding things a bit tough. Mental health doesn't discriminate, as we all know, but as we saw with Lloydie, just talking about it can make such a massive difference to life. And it's so refreshing to hear someone so honest um, and see what a difference it made to not only his sport, but his life as well. But for now, that's it from us. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. So please don't forget to hit the follow button and you'll be notified as soon as our next edition is released. (music) 